before you could drive wherever you wanted to go, before you could watch whatever you wanted to, whenever you wanted it, and before you were required to spend time making a living in some mind-numbing job, you had seemingly endless time with just your imagination, and, if you were lucky, some toys. Many things shape us into what we are today. Our family and friends, our teachers in school, maybe an adventure or two. And if you're like us, countless hours spent with just you and your toys. In this episode of the podcast, we'll take a look at the latest season of Netflix's The Toys That Made Us, interview the show's executive producer and director, Brian Volkweiss, and discuss our own defining toys. Beware our kung fu action grip. This is Way Back Attack. My name is Brian Grantham. Sitting across from me, as always, is Preston Burt. Preston, are you a real American hero? I try to be, man. I try to be. And for this episode, particularly, I am. (laughs) Most definitely. Because those Joes influenced me beyond all doubt. How about you? Yo, Joe, you know I am. (laughs) They taught me life lessons at the end of every episode. I am the man I am today because of G.I. Joe. The more you know with G.I. Joe. Well, you... The the sad thing about that is actually I didn't get into G.I. Joe until much later in my life. So. <laughs> well, this episode isn't all about G.I. Joe. In fact, it's not very much about G.I. Joe at all. But it is about the toys that made us. Um, G.I. Joe was a big part of my life, a big part of yours. But we're not actually going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the series on Netflix. We're going to be talking about some lesser known toys that help shape us. But before we dive into all of that, how you been, man? How was your Thanksgiving? It was great stupendous i uh i didn't really do much of anything uh, i had two bowls of fruity pebbles uh that was my thanksgiving feast and then i had oh two cups of coffee also wow yeah. man you really lived it up how about you did you do anything special oh you know just the regular family comes to us so uh we have a good good old-fashioned time uh my uh sister and brother-in-law came and we got to play some games and got to uh see my football team lose stupendously in a fantastic manner and um then you know had just had a good time i i did a little black friday shopping yeah um went and got the got the kids uh, a few games okay uh there were some cheap deals at, at walmart so we got uh i got something at on the switch and something on xbox one but um now you you are in the re- retail world mm-hmm how was that aspect of it? Uh, you know, it was fine. Nowadays, uh, companies do uh, all like they don't do all the sales all week long, but the, a lot of sales throughout the week. And so, most people shop earlier in the week just to avoid the Black Friday stuff. Yeah. Um, and Thursday wasn't really wasn't bad at all. And mm-hmm. Friday uh, was busier, but then Saturday was fine. Then yesterday was fine. Well, you know, I. Ever since they started moving the Black... So I used to do Black Friday, like, I was all about it. When, uh-huh. Especially when I was a young parent, and we didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was all about those deals, like, searching for a camcorder or something like that. Right. Doorbuster, I was out, you know, camping at, at uh, you know, overnight, basically, at Best Buy, trying to get the best deal. Um, but now that they moved everything to Thursdays, mm-hmm. like, the actual Thanksgiving day, so... 
not only would, you know, when things open at 6 o'clock p.m. on a Thursday, that's going to ruin my Thanksgiving anyway. Right. But to actually be able to get any of those true doorbusters, you have to get there hours before. And that means, like, missing your actual, you know, lunchtime Thanksgiving meal with my family. So that sure as heck isn't going to fly. So the only things I do now is I go in the morning, uh, right before I go to work. Mm-hmm. I go check out uh, the 8 o'clock, you know, big box store. And by that time, because they opened at six, smooth sailing. Yeah, it's it's just like a busy Saturday, basically. Right. It's not bad at all. Yeah. Sometimes, like I'll go into like Best Buy or something to see, uh, like what they've got going on in their store, and usually, it be- it'll usually be like on a Saturday or something, so everything worth picking has already been picked through. Uh, but I'll just like walk around and be like, oh, what sales they have, and just look at random things in the store and. Um, you know, I, there was, a uh, an outlet mall around us. They used to open at midnight on Friday. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, really they opened before that. It would be, you, the stores had to be open at midnight, but like most of the anchor stores in that mall would all open, you know, around eight or something like that. And so you could just really walk around the mall and go, Oh, let me go get some shoes or let me go do this real quick while I'm waiting for this other store to open. Uh, so, uh, I used to always do that whenever, whenever I was over there, cause it was nice to, to be, they all had staggered open times. And so people were just walking all, all over the place doing everything. So now I know you didn't get a chance to do much shopping yet, but with the Christmas season coming up and this episode being about toys, do your girls have anything on their list that are their must have toys for this holiday season? Uh, so, um, we got them both a toy guide from Target. Mm-hmm. And so they went through and circled items in their toy guide. And my youngest daughter was circling like everything. <laughs> right. That's and, what you do. Yeah. And we were like, you I know. mean, because, yeah, I would want that. I want that. I want that. <laughs> well, that's what she said. We said, you know, the, you're only supposed to pick the things that you really want. And she was like, well, that's what I'm doing. And so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, it was convenient because, um, you know, then I can take pictures of, oh, well, like my mom's like, what should I get? And it's like, oh, here, look at pictures. Like I'll send these pages to her or whatever. And that way she has uh, an easier way of, of going about that, finding exactly what it's supposed to be. Uh, but, you know, a lot of places don't do that anymore with those with those books that, that I've seen. So, um, but yeah, I know, uh, I think I sent it to you, um, you know, Toys R Us come back. Oh yeah, and that was always the best book to go through because because it was so thick and had so many great things. Yeah, in it. a lot of folks remember the Sears catalogs and stuff like that. Uh-huh. J.C. Penney catalog. I I didn't really get those. I got the Toys R Us book, and that was like my Bible. That yeah. was great. Yeah. But my girls, you know, I've got a ten year old still, but she has transitioned. She's not all about the toys. Yeah. You know, the she wants a ukulele for Christmas. And my oldest daughter, you know, she's 14, so she's way past toys. But mm-hmm. kind of saddens me that they're both not into, like, the littlest pet shop toys anymore or whatever that I recognize as their, you know, I'm watching them play with it. And I realize that they're, those are their version of G.I. Joe's to right. them, right? Uh-huh. Like, to me, growing up, G.I. Joe's, Transformers, He-Man, all that stuff. They had littlest pet shops and mm-hmm. the little people toys and mm-hmm. all these things and now they they don't have them they're they're too old <laughs> yeah my my oldest daughter my mom was like what should what should we get her for the switch and i said well don't don't worry about it she would honestly probably rather have like a gift card to go shopping or uh at a clothing store or something and yeah. she was like oh really and i was like yeah just do that instead yeah well at least at least my kids are still you know pretty good big into gaming so yeah. 
I have my gaming memories. They'll have their their gaming memories. So I, I feel good about that at least. So trying to try to carry that torch on, even though they're not doing the toys. Well, uh, before we talk more about the toys that made us, uh, the show and the actual toys, and our interview with the creator, executive producer Brian Volkweiss, um, it's been what this is our seventh episode now, and we actually have had or sixth episode. We have had a number of episodes, and we actually have people who listen to this show. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware of this, but people actually listen to the show. We even actually have people who provide some feedback. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that and uh, kick it off with saying thank you so much to those of you who do take the time out of your day to message us, but also those of you who take the time to review our show on mm-hmm. iTunes, because like we say, that helps other people see our show and become aware of it. So I think you actually have a... I do. Yep. I've, so I've got I've got the comments pulled up in front of me. Also, I'd like to say if you uh, you know if you can just spread the word and tell your friends about it. Hey, yeah. You know, check out the show if you like it. Uh, that's cool. If not, you know, whatever. But that's how I that's how I find a lot of my podcasts. Yeah. It, you know, I browse myself, but then I'm like, well, what are you guys listening to? It's a mm-hmm. good topic of conversation during lunch, and I've heard some really good podcasts uh, lately just because of that. Uh, so I'm not going to read all the reviews. Uh, I'm just going to pull a couple of them out. Uh, so Yellow Sun Zero Three says, two guys who love pop culture discuss how the old meets the new. I love hearing their takes on things I love and things I forgot I loved. Thanks for that. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, and then I have uh, this one from Evil Clown Killer One Four Two Three. Love that username. <laughs> this is the best nostalgia-driven podcast I have ever let deep into my ear holes. <laughs> you should do yourself a favor and get into the lyrical stylings of Preston and Brian on the reg. So, obviously, if you're listening to this, you already know, hopefully, that this is the the best nostalgia podcast out there. <laughs> but uh, do us a favor and tell others uh, and leave us a review. But not only do we get re- awesome reviews, we get emails. Uh, I want to read one regarding uh, a previous episode when we talked about Happy Meal Toys. So, got an email in from Don. And he says, another great show, guys. Thanks for the trip down memory lane with Happy Meals changeables were a favorite of mine as well as the garfield vehicle toys and mac tonight toys that were both so durable and robust they hung around playtime for years there were also some little sonic the hedgehog lcd games that i kept he forgets the themes but he thinks they were sports themed uh he's got them around somewhere he said he gave his little son he gave his son a little spy toy from mcdonald's that looked like an old school cell phone but turned into a tiny periscope and he loved it uh, he couldn't believe that the BK Kids Club began so late in 1989. and But he remembered the wheels, the names Wheels, Jaws, IQ off the top of his head. And he had the toy that lasted forever, too. On 4th of July, we strapped him and John Smith from Pocahontas to, uh, to fireworks and shot them around the yard for a couple of years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, yeah, he brings up a good point. The uh, I completely forgot about Mac Tonight. Do you oh, remember yes. those were uh-huh. those were also kind of like this California raisin um, PVC vinyl figures. Yeah. They were so durable, and that was all the rage for a while. That commercial and that mm-hmm. ad campaign, they were around forever. It's it's weird because in my head those commercials tie into Diet Coke somehow. Because uh, I doubt that they would have promoted Diet Coke in the commercial or in, in the McDonald's commercials or whatever. Uh, but for some reason those are like one and the same. Uh, but that's funny because. You know that you know what that cell phone that turns into a periscope sounds like. What sounds like some of those spy toys I was talking about. Uh, <laughs> I bet you're right. You bet you're right. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so thanks for thanks for sending that in. Uh, he sent us some show suggestions too that we probably have to take him up on. Um, if you want to send us an email, we're waybackattackshow at gmail.com uh, and we can read your read your message on air. But you can also hit us up on social media. And with our last episode, we got in some feedback from uh, at Books in a Forest. She's responding to other things that aren't on Disney+. Plus. Yes. And she, for her, she says she's missing Watcher in the Woods, Brave Little Toaster, a lot of the Disney Sunday movies like Not Quite Human. Yes. The Random Parent Trap sequels, A Mom for Christmas, and she wishes that there were more 80s and 90s TV shows like Dumbo Circus and Adventure in Wonderland. Uh-huh. Um, Brave Little Toaster. Yes. I love that one. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, the Disney Sunny Sunny movies, not quite human. Love that one. I love not, that. So it's after we did that episode, I was I was I looked for that. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd known before we did that episode because that was like that. Love the not quite human. Movies. Isn't that the same guy? Isn't that the guy from uh, the boy who could fly? Who chip? The guy yeah. who plays chip? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I don't know what the boy who can fly. Is. Okay, all right. I think it's the same. It's guy. It's got Alan Thick in it. Well, I mean, <laughs> hey, that's all you need to know right there. And, and then that the Dumbo's family or Dumbo's Flying Circus. I used to l- watch that show in the mornings all the time. I don't remember that one. Really, it was like a live action oh with, my with Lionel. Hey, you Dumbo! Is like, that like w- the live action like around Pooh's Corner was? It was similar. So you had uh, you had this like these two cats. There was like a like a uh, Siamese cat that was like she was like the. Uh, I don't know. She always had like a boa, a feather boa and uh-huh. stuff and was in leotards. She was like a dancer or something. And then you had this like alley cat guy that was all that he was always like playing pranks on people and he would do like the strong man and stuff. And Lionel was, uh, or not Lionel. Lionel. <laughs> Thundercats. No, he, he would do, um, he, he would, Lionel was, a lion. For some reason, I thought he was a mouse. I guess because of the movie, the cartoon, you know. <laughs> but he was like the ringleader, uh-huh. and he would tell Dumbo to. Dumbo would fly around in the with the um, the cart or whatever. The yeah, yeah. Cart. I remember those. Uh, it was kind of those for me weren't. I did not seek them out. It was uh-huh. kind of like if I was just sick at home and there was nothing else to watch, I'd watch those. Yeah. But I because of that, I do have a fondness. So yeah, those are some good choices. Uh, I really want to see a mom for Christmas. I can't believe I missed that one. That sounds good. But yeah, if you have uh, other suggestions, hit us up on social media, email, whatever. Most of all, just thanks for listening. Yeah, definitely. I, I We really, really appreciate it. So happy to have our very first sponsor of the show. Um, it's something close to my heart because I'm a part of it. Yes. And I hope that everyone who's listening is going to be a part of it too. And that is Way Back Weekend. It's a brand new convention, May 16th through 17th, 2020. And you can enjoy a weekend full of fun and nostalgia, reminiscing your favorite things in retro pop culture from TVs, movies, video games, toys, and more. Way Back Weekend is a chance to navigate the influences that shape everything we love and share our favorite decades with a new generation. Brian, what do you hope to see at the show? Uh, I hope to see some toys that I can use to... uh over the years, I have lost a lot of the toys or, or gotten rid of a lot of the toys that uh, I would like to share with my family and put on my shelves. And uh, I would like to go through toys and uh, find some stuff. And not just toys, like some really cool, like, I don't know, just items that like you wouldn't expect to see, but like maybe ha- has like a spot in my heart. So I, I'm kind of up your alley. I, I do go to some other toy conventions and toy shows like that. So I, I get to see a lot of that. So... What I collect these days is like 
ephemera. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Like old advertising and just weird stuff that no one would have thought would be collectible. Mm-hmm. But then because of that, now it's ex- insanely collectible um, and you just don't find it. So I'm in the mood for old, old stuff like that. But it's not going to be just a vendor convention. It's going to be uh, new experiences for young and old. We're going to have hands-on things to play with uh, from everything from consoles to light brights to all that kind of stuff. Guess. And uh, I'm even working on a retro-themed escape room. Oh, nice. Yeah. So everybody stay tuned. Uh, Check out waybackweekend.com and uh, sign up for membership today. May 16th through 17th, 2020. Wayback Weekend. What, where do they sign up at? Waybackweekend.com. Okay, thank you, sir. Are you a fan of the toys that made us, Preston? Of course I am. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing the show. Yeah, I am too. And uh, I think, uh, you know, every season has been really cool to watch. And, you know, they are, there have been toys in it really that um, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of going into maybe like in season two. There may have, I think there was like two of them that I wasn't a huge fan of when I was a kid, but it's still cool to see those stories and how, uh, what happened between like the companies and stuff when they were producing those toys and just the stories behind that stuff and how it's made. Yeah. I just think it's completely enthralling. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're not sure what we're talking about or we didn't reference it earlier in the show, the Toys That Made Us is a documentary series on Netflix about, uh, defining toy properties throughout the 70s, 80s, and so forth that had a big impact on the you know today's adults. Um, I really love it because, one, I'm a huge documentary fan anyway, mm-hmm. so this is right up my alley. But two, not only do they touch on a lot of the properties that I loved growing up, like Transformers and G.I. Joe, uh-huh. but they also, like you mentioned talk about some properties that I wasn't a fan of necessarily or wasn't really familiar with. And what's great about it is for both of those, the ones I loved and the ones I didn't, both of the, all the episodes are entertaining because you learn so much interesting history about all of them and how much of an impact they had that you weren't even aware of just because it wasn't on your radar as a kid. Right. So I've loved every single episode, some more than others, but even so, um, I was really impressed with the latest season, season three, and the four episodes they had regarding Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh-huh. Wrestling Toys, mm-hmm. My Little Pony, yep. and what was the last one? Pow, pow, Power Rangers. Go, go, Power Rangers. Yes. All great properties, in addition to the ones they've already covered, with which have been some of the most defining toys of our generation. So if you haven't seen it yet, please go seek it out. It's a really, really entertaining, just back and forth repartee, yeah, uh, and tons of great interviews. So, what, 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 what are some things you really liked about it? So, I, I will say, you know, I've talked before. I'm not a big fan of, of commitment, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the um, each season's only four episodes. Yes, right. So they are easy to binge or to watch over, like maybe two days or whatever. Um, you know, there the first season had Barbie in it, mm-hmm. and hey, I had four sisters. I had played with Barbies when I was a kid. Yeah, right. And um, but it is so interesting to see 
where Barbie came from and like how it got turned into a kid's toy mm-hmm. and, and you know just stuff like that 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 you don't ever think that you know you don't ever think really about how that stuff came to be uh you know i will say season two i like star trek um but like i i own a couple star trek toys but i never like um my stepmom collected star trek next generation stuff and i collected some deep space nine stuff Mm -hmm. um but like seeing the like that was that was probably the one that i was least familiar with that and um and lego uh, from season two, because uh, I just I never thought about the history of Lego before, right. you know, and so it was really cool to see that. Um, I actually knew a decent bit about Hello Kitty because when I was in uh, like middle school, I was really into Bats Maru, and so uh, I liked I liked Hello Kitty a lot. So well, yeah, it's it's neat seeing some of these toys that you just take for granted because um, it's just always been around. So like the Star Trek episodes, particularly. Mm-hmm. That has such a winding history. It kind of reminds me of the the wrestling one uh, in this season, where it's just so varied and so many different manufacturers and so many different, you know, trajectories of this thing. Right. Um, it's really interesting to to, to watch and, and learn about how they went from concept to creation. This this newest season though was right right up my alley. Uh, I've been a huge Ninja Turtle fan forever. Uh-huh. And like their uh Blockbuster Video was doing this thing in uh when I was in third or fourth grade, uh where they <laughs> they were basically um working for the man, I think, because they had they fingerprinted you. It was it was in case you got kidnapped. Oh right. Uh I can't remember what it was called. It was like kid something. But they videotaped you and asked you a bunch of questions and then they took your fingerprints um and but one so one of the questions because uh, i have the tape somewhere uh the guy asks what do i like and i'm like tmnt and he's <laughs> like what i was like tmnt and he's like what's that and i like roll my eyes and go teenage mutant turtles and oh so, my gosh you've got to find that and digitize <laughs> I'll, that. I'll see if i can find it it's uh it was pretty good um the uh at the time i had a, a bad speech impediment so uh, I would have I would have said my awes like this, and so it would have been super cute. Um, but uh, you know, Ninja Turtles. I was super into Power Rangers when it first came out, um, and My Little Pony was around me. And then I I had most of those well I got, uh, the big wrestling toys, yeah, the, the LJN the ones. Yeah, and I think I gave you one of them. So yeah, I love that they talked about them and called them uh, the dog chew yes. toys because that's exactly what happened uh-huh. with so many of them. Even today, if you go around and uh, you know look at them at, at collector shows, they have like dog chew marks on them because they were just so dense and durable. Yeah, yeah I, you know, when this when this first came out, and they did the episodes on Transformers uh-huh. and GI Joe. I mean, like they nailed two of mine right out of the gate. Right. Um, so to see which ones they choose is really really interesting. Here's what I love most about it: it's not just the history, and it's not just you know, getting the ones that I am fond of. It's pulling back the curtain and exposing to light some of these creators. Uh-huh. Because, you know, you and I have been in the the gaming hobby for a while, and, and game designers have a cult of celebrity. You know, especially in, like, pinball and video games, people know the names of the the designers 
you know, with pinball, you got Steve Ritchie mm-hmm. and George Gomez, and these guys are heralded on a on a pedestal. And in video games, I'm sure you can name a few right now. Yeah, Cliffy B. <laughs> he, he he made Gears of War. He lives actually. He shops close to here. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, but you know, people follow them on social media. They know who they are. Uh, but most people couldn't tell you a single thing about who designed the toys that they spent hours and hours playing with right beyond maybe the manufacturer so maybe you know that that kenner made star wars or that uh, mattel made he-man but did you know that mark taylor is the artist who came up with the look of all of those create uh, all those creations for masters of the universe well if you watch the toys that made us you do yeah that's, that's one of the things i like about the my little pony uh, episode is that um, you know, you have you have the woman that that designed them originally, and then the the I can't remember any of their names. So uh, then, like the the guy that says that he designed it, he was like, "They're I don't know what the off camera person is saying, uh-huh. but you see him be like, well." I don't know. Maybe she did it, but I'm pretty sure it was me. And then you have like the fan that's like, "Oh yeah, when she designed them, she did this." And it was like awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, some of the memories are murky, and yeah. it's cool how they address that. Um, yeah, the uh, I, I in the interview I have with with Brian, the executive creator, uh, Brian Volkweiss of of the show. I ask him later on what he's going to do because right now. I feel like they've covered all of the biggies. Yeah. I mean, like you, they've hit on all of them. Uh, Barbie, My Little Pony. Have they done Cabbage Patch? No, they haven't done that. Um, there, there, they haven't done uh, like. I think there's still some big ones. You know, Pound Puppies. Uh-huh. Uh You know, um, there's a couple others, but yeah. Well, you know, one of his criteria for whether they covered or not is something that's pretty much been in continuous production uh-huh. um, and is instantly recognizable. So, you know, it's probably going to be something that's still in toy stores today. Right. So I think he mentions maybe they'll do look at a Pokemon one. Uh-huh. I think they're probably going to have to start doing, uh, what do you call them, when they're all grouped together? Like, uh, like a... Compilation episode. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, kind of like they did with Star Trek and... And the wrestling, how it's not just, you know, they're not just looking at LGN's giant chew right. toy. Uh-huh. They're looking at the whole concept. industry. I think they're going to, I would love for them to do one that's gross out toys. Okay. Be, and and that, that covers a huge uh-huh. swath. But And they you know, still totally make gross out toys oh, today. Oh, they still totally make gross out they toys. They sell poop to girls today. It's crazy. <laughs> but, you know, you got Mad Balls uh-huh. and Garbage Pail Kids and you've got um, the Creepy Crawlies or Creeper Crawlers. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. The slime. Yeah. You know, the, um, you, I wonder, I wonder how far he's going to go, right? Is it like, what, what year is he going to stop at, right? Like, uh, we can't do any toys past this line, yeah. right? So will it eventually get to McFarland stuff, you know, like the early spawn lines or something like that? Uh, or is that too recent? I mean, it's pretty old, I guess. It's like yeah, 25 it, years old. What, it came out like 95, 96, something in there? The toy line probably came out, yeah, around 96, 97. Okay. Yeah, I mean, some of these, you know, the Ninja Turtles, they they were, what, 88 to 94, something? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for the original. Right, yeah. I mean, obviously, they're still going strong. So, I don't know where... I, that's a good question. I should have asked him that. Where Where's his cutoff for what he can, would be able to consider? Um, But... 
if you like the toys that made us, then boy, do I have a treat for you because the day after Thanksgiving, Netflix premiered another series by the same creators and producers, the movies that made us. Have Mm. you seen any of these? I have not. So if you like this style, which I do, um, then check out the movies that made us and they have four. It it follows the same, the the same parameters as the toys that made us. This first season has four properties, four movies. They have home alone, Die Hard, Dirty Dancing, and Ghostbusters. Okay. So it kind of follows that structure in that there's, I know these movies are for everybody, Uh but three that feel more marketed towards males and one that is more marketed towards females. Um, But that said, that Dirty Dancing episode, I thought it was the best of them all. It was great. But. You learn so many cool little facts. For instance, did you know that the Home Alone house, that they didn't film any of the interiors in that house? Uh Uh-uh. They filmed all those interiors in a built soundstage in a high school gymnasium in the area, but it wasn't in the house. Huh. That's cool. There was something that I watched recently that was similar to that. The only shots they shot in the house that they filmed in were like the ones that required plumbing uh-huh. and everything else. They just made a rec- recreation of the house on a, on a sound set. That's <laughs> awesome. Like, that's weird. Like, I mean, I get it's easier to move a camera around if walls are fake, but yeah, totally. But yeah, so go check those out. Those are really good. What's that called? The movies, the that, movies made that made us. It's also on Netflix. So, um, any other thoughts? Uh, no, you know, I, I, I hope this keeps going. It'll be interesting to see where, where they take this show and, uh, you know, so far they've done uh, a great job uh, with it. So um, I'm I'm excited to see what what lies in the future. Yeah, I hope it keeps on going. Um, but for now, uh, we've got my interview with creator and executive producer and director Brian Volkweiss. Check it out. It's an eight-part documentary series about the toys that we all know. Plastic creations that last for generations and we still cannot let go. Little molded figures that gave us big dreams will go back in time and behind the scenes. It's the toys that made us. Toys that made us us here. Preston, how you doing? Good, Brian. How are you? Um, I know you don't remember it. All right. I know you don't remember Uh-oh. it, but I actually got uh, a chance to interview you when the series first debuted uh, on Netflix, and I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you again, and congratulations on the success. Well, first of all, thank you uh, for your support then, because I don't think there would have been a season three uh, without support like yours, so thank you for that. Uh, and thank you uh, for the kind words about season three. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I... Uh, you know, I, like I said, I was a fan when the show first kicked off, and you've just hit every checkbox for me um, down the line. And every season, I'm surprised and uh, excited to see what you come up with for each of the properties. And and um, I, yeah, I look back at my interview from a little while ago, and I didn't ask you back then. Like, I'm, I assume you were a fan of toys before making this series, but. Uh, gr- yeah. what was your favorite growing up and what's your collection like these days? Like, is it heightened? Do you have like a huge display case? What's going on? 
Let's just say I'm a little worried about if my kids can go to college or not, <laughs> uh, uh, as, as it relates to what the toys that made us did uh, for the, uh, the 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 toy collection that I have. Uh, yeah, I, I I mean, growing up, everything for me in almost every category starts and ends with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, Star Wars was my number one favorite toy. The reason I'm in show business and not a lawyer or a whatever in Queens, New York, is because of Star Wars. So, I mean, the, the short answer to your question is the most important toy to me growing up is Star Wars. Uh, and then it was followed, like, there was a tie for second place between G.I. Joe and Transformers. Um, Star Trek, I, I always had a lot of Star Trek toys too, but Star Trek, if you saw the episode, you know, it was always a little weird. Uh, it was hard to be a Star Trek fan of right. toys, uh, do all their wackiness. So, um, yeah. And then, um, the, the easiest and fastest way to explain, uh, what the show did to my collection, uh... I probably had about 500 toys the day the show was greenlit, and it took me about 40 years to collect 500 toys. Uh-huh. Uh, and I probably am uh, right around 2,000 toys now. Oh, my God. Uh, so it took 40 years for the first 500 uh, and about three years for the next 1,500. That's great. <laughs> I don't know if it's great. It's an honest answer, but I don't know if it's great. Well, come on. Uh, I've got a basement full of arcade games, so, you know, we to each their own. Well, it's funny. My wife, everyone always says to me, what does your wife think? What does your wife think? My wife, my, uh, I'm very lucky, but my wife's policy is pretty much, as long as the bills get paid for the house and the kids and you don't have them home at four in the morning with glitter on your face, uh, you can do whatever the hell you want. So, uh, so I'm very lucky in that regard. Love it. So you were running down your favorite toy lines for me. You said, uh, you know, Star Wars and then GI Joe Transformers. Well, you've done all of those, and now you've moved on to some other ones. Uh, uh, have you become a new fan of any of these properties that you maybe not uh, weren't a big fan of back then? Absolutely, and that's partly to explain why it's grown so much. I the day the show was greenlit, I had zero He-Man, I had zero Barbie, I had zero My Little Pony, zero Power Rangers, zero wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, and now my G my He-Man collection is probably close to twenty five figures and vehicles. Uh, my Barbie, I, I have two Barbie dolls, but they're both like really like <laughs> they were not cheap. Let me leave it at that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my 25 uh, He-Man figures were l- less than 20% of one of those Barbie dolls. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I got uh, probably about half a dozen My Little Ponies. Those luckily G1s for whatever reason with My Little Pony aren't that expensive, thank God, yet. Um, I have the original, all original Power Rangers, uh, and a couple, uh, wrestling figures. Wow. Well, mentioning wrestling. Oh, you know what? You know what? You know what? Actually, I had also, I had no Hello Kitty. Oh, 
Right. Uh, and now, uh, now I got a nice little Hello Kitty collection. Ironically, uh, it's uh, Hello Kitty uh, is basically not in it. it it's almost exclusively uh, Gudetama. <laughs> so I have like uh, I have more Gudetama than I do He-Man. <laughs> okay. The respect, man. Yeah. Respect. Don't ask me why. Don't, That's great. Don't ask me why. Well, you mentioned you didn't have any uh, wrestling figures growing up, and that's one of the episodes of the season three. And I was watching that one. I had a few growing up. I had uh, I had some of the LJN, you know, the big honking rubber ones, and um, I, I had a couple of Power Rangers. And those two ones, especially the Power Ranger episode and the wrestling episode, I felt like I needed a flow chart to kind of understand the origins <laughs> of what's going on here, yeah. who, how these are connected. Yeah. The, what's the research Especially process? Wrestling. What's the research process like for something like this? Because it's pretty insane. It, it really is insane, and it, I'm curious to hear what you think because I'm, I, I predict it's even more insane than you think. So you, you <laughs> after I tell you what we do, you tell me if I'm right or wrong about that. Um, so basically, when a show, when the season gets greenlit. We assemble at least one, sometimes two or three experts of a particular toy line. From the experts, we get a list of 50 to 150 people that are directly connected to that toy in some way. Could be a designer, could be marketing, could be a CEO, could be a list. We basically get a list of all the people we must get to do a good episode. Mm -hmm. Once we get the list, we then reach out to everybody on the list. Um, about 90% of the list usually gets done pretty quickly. 5% of the list gets done extremely slowly. And 5% of the list never agrees uh, to do an interview. Of the 95% that do agree, uh, we conduct two pre-interviews. Uh, the first interview is uh, over the phone, and it's audio only, though we do record it. The second pre-interview is done by Skype, so we have video and audio, and we do record it. And the second one, the reason we do the second one, is once we talk to everybody, we start to figure out what the story is and what we think the story is going to be. So then by the time we do the second pre-interview, we can ask questions based on the new knowledge we have from all the other interviews we did. Then uh, we do the actual interview, which is with a full crew and, you know, two to four cameras. Um, and then for about 1% of the people we do a full interview on, uh, we conduct at least one more. Mm -hmm. So like Marty Abrams, we interviewed him three times in addition to the first real interview, in addition to the first two pre-interviews. So Marty Abrams alone, uh, we basically interviewed six times. Now, do you have to... Uh, are you pretty forward-thinking in capturing their thoughts on multiple properties uh, at, in, during the one interview, or do you have to keep revisiting some? So I'm thinking specifically about Mark Taylor and like how fun it is to see him pop up in different episodes, and you realize, wow, this guy really had a whole lot of influence in a lot of different properties that we love. Well, the answer to your question is yes and yes. Uh -huh. So we do our best to be pre-planned, 
and we do our best to figure everything out before we get on an airplane with a crew. But sometimes, you, you know, people say stuff in an interview that they didn't say in the pre-interview that completely changes the direction of the episode. So, for example, in the Star Wars episode, we had no idea. Uh, we didn't even think Jim Kipling was going to show up to the interview. That's the lawyer from Kenner. So we didn't even think he was going to show up, let alone tell us that George only made 2.5% from the toys. So learning that from him drastically changed the entire episode, which is a similar thing that happened when we interviewed Peter Laird. We had interviewed Peter uh, for just under four hours when he mentioned that he still controlled the rights to making the comic book, you know, I think 14 issues a year. So just hearing that one detail, uh, I don't know if you've seen the episode or not, but it changed the entire episode was just learning. And he was one of the last interviews we did. So we, uh, we already had a rough cut, uh, or not a rough cut, but we already had a string out when we did Peter's interview. He gave us that nugget, and then we went back to Kevin. We got Kevin to get on an airplane, yada, yada, yada. So that's, you just have to go with the story and you know, be pretty organic about when you learn new stuff. Yeah, definitely. That's oh, I to go back to your original question of whether I thought you do a good job. I I think you do a good job of research. I'm very impressed with every episode. No, no, no. I was asking if you thought we did a good job. I was asking because you were like it must be pretty crazy. Yeah. So now that I've told you what we do, is it as crazy or less crazy or more crazy it's about than as, you assumed it would be? It's about as crazy as I thought it would be. Um, all right. All yeah, right. Well, very good. Uh, so previously. Uh, when I interviewed you before, you said you had three criteria for choosing toys for the show. Do they have, have they essentially been in nonstop production? Does it have a rabid fan base? And is it a good story? Curious, uh, what properties have you thought you would do, but then you just killed because it wasn't a good story necessarily? You know, it's so funny, man. Like, if I do, if I answer a thousand questions a year, uh-huh. I, I say that I can't answer a question maybe 10 times and that's one of the that's one of the questions that I want to answer gotcha. and the reason is uh, but I'll tell you why the reason is if there's anything I've learned it's just saying answering that question like bothers the brands gotcha. so if I were to be like line x then uh-huh. I get an email or a text from Hasbro or Mattel being like, oh, man, and (laughs) regardless of if I agree with their logic or not, they have been so good to the show, Uh like so good, that having them be bummed out by anything I say uh, hurts me. Um, So that's why I have to pull the no comment card. Hey, man, I I take that with a a badge of honor that I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that in a interview for a toy show, I I got the no comment question, the answer. So that's fine. With me. Well, well done. No well worries. Done. Uh, so thinking about those three criteria again, I'm wondering, you know, you over these three seasons, you have hit what I would consider like every major property. Uh, I'm not trying to tease you up for what's next or anything, but you know, some of those that meet all three criterias are, are seemingly shrinking. And I'm wondering, are we going to start seeing yeah. maybe compilations? of lesser-known toys? Like, the well, wrestling episode is kind of a, a version of that, where it's not just the LJN line, and it's not just the, the you know, the smaller figures. You're kind of telling the whole story. 
Well, Star Trek, Star Trek was similar in that regard too. I mean, Star Trek had a very similar, um, you know, the license kept moving around issue, but you're, you're absolutely right. I, I feel like there's still a bunch of standalones we need to do. We need to do Hot Wheels. We need to do Nerf. We need to do Pokemon. Um, I really think we need to do, and some would argue it's not a toy, but I would argue we need to do, um, Dungeons and Dragons. So um, there's definitely, I would say, at least six standalones uh, left um, of the, uh, what do you call it, of of the compilations. Uh, My dream is to end, is to wrap up the whole series uh, with an episode called The Toys That Should Have Not Been Made. (laughs) And the final, and it'll be the perfect bookend uh, to Star Wars because Dune would be like LJN's Dune line would be the spinal column of that episode. And the reason for that is every single thing that Star Wars touched turned to gold mm-hmm. in the late 70s. Everything that Dune touched turned to ashes. David Lynch didn't direct for 10 years. The studio went bankrupt. LJN went bankrupt. Uh, and, but the thing that's so interesting about it, and we've sort of already started doing this because when we did the wrestling episode, we had to interview a lot of LJN people. So we actually already have some of this on tape. But the thing that's really interesting is we could cut in between Jim Swearingen from Star Wars episode and people from LJN, and they are saying the exact same thing. Mm. So like Jim Swearingen's like, I read the script and I knew immediately we had to make the toys because it was going to be a huge hit. Then we cut to the guy from LJN who's like, I read the script for Dune. I knew it was going to be a huge hit immediately. And I went to my boss and I said, we got to make these toys. And then literally all but bankrupted the company. So... It, it would be the perfect way to end the series, and I, I hope we get a chance to do that. That sounds cool. So, uh, Oh, and one other compilation. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. One other compilation would be fast food toys. Oh, man. we It's funny. Uh, we just did a podcast about the fast food toys because of McDonald's 40th anniversary, and that thing is yeah. a, that's a roller coaster right there. So that's a good one. I, I, two thumbs up for that. Idea. Great story. Great, <laughs> great story behind that. So it seems like in uh, as the seasons have progressed, it seems like even more people are involved with each episode that appear on camera. Um, it may just be my own impression, you know. I, but no, you're be- right. You're absolutely okay. Right. So between fans and and uh, the toy designers and and all you know talking heads and, and great stuff like that, every season and every episode, I'm always surprised to find someone that I totally did not expect to pop up in the episode, and. And I'm thinking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode and learning that Chuck Lorre was involved with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song. Is there that anyone, crazy? It's crazy. Is there anyone else you were shocked to learn that had some hand in these pop culture icons? I mean, part of the problem for me answering that question with a good answer is I've been reading about this since the sixth grade so (laughs) no i mean no i mean again nothing was ever surprised me more than um what kipling said about the star wars contract with lucas i mean that 
had he not actually brought that contract to the interview, I don't even think we would have used the footage because we wouldn't have believed him. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I've conducted well over a thousand interviews over the last 20 years. Uh, nobody has ever, ever brought a contract to an interview. <laughs> so, uh, like the, the one time it, I guess he knew we wouldn't believe him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, and like, I think I told you earlier, I didn't even think he was going to show up. Yeah. So that, that was the biggest surprise, but no, um, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to give you such a boring answer, but I, yeah, I already, uh, I already pretty much knew the gist. I was surprised to find out that there was no Wonder Bread He-Man. I really did believe that. Um, but yeah, other other than that, yeah, no, it was not not too surprising. That's cool, man. You're a, you're you're a pro, so you you were ingrained in this stuff already. Not everybody who watches this, though. I mean, most people will be surprised by that kind of stuff. So for folks who are watching or haven't watched one yet, be sure to watch this because you're you're going to be surprised. Some very very cool connections will pop up. A lot of folks, though, don't know about most of these designers. I mean, they're not students of the hobby. They're not uh, aficionados. And so, like, I really appreciate the series for bringing some limelight to these uh, under-recognized and under-appreciated folks. Um, You know, I mentioned earlier Mark Taylor popping up from the He-Man episode to one of the ones in this series, in this season. Uh, Is there someone that you think people should really know about that had maybe the most impact on the a wide range of properties. Well, that's the easiest question to answer, and I'm doing my part uh, to make sure this gets fixed. Um, but uh, Margaret Loesch, uh, Margaret Loesch, uh, I, it's so funny. Um, I remember when I was interviewing her, and I, I got to admit, I really didn't know who she was uh, before season three got greenlit. Um, while I was interviewing her and listening to everything she was saying, <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, this woman is full of shit. There is no way the same person worked on all of these shows and I've never heard of her. And then sure enough, she was not full of shit. Uh, and I did just, yeah. I, and, and part of the reason we actually now are making a feature length documentary about her that we're self funding. Um, the reason I'm doing that is because I find it horrifying that someone with her accomplishments uh, was not better known. Uh, so that that was that was definitely the biggest surprise of all 12 episodes was just seeing. I mean, she literally all but single-handedly will Power Rangers, Batman the Animated Series, X-Men the Animated Series, and a thousand other things, Muppet Baby. I mean, you name it. She had a lot to do with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So uh, it, it, she absolutely should be a household name uh, just as much as so many of the other people are uh, that did what they did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. That's that's a great point, yeah. Um, so going back to that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, how do you get do, – do you feel – uh, well, so you touched on the strained relationship of Eastman and Laird. Do you guys feel like maybe you had a hand in aiding uh, that friendship being repaired? I mean, yes, we put them in a room together. Um, and by the way, just to be clear, they had met earlier 
And we say this in the episode, by the way. I've seen some stuff online where people are like, they're trying to take credit. I'm like, no, we're not. We specifically said in the episode they had met earlier, about three years earlier. Mm -hmm. But from what I understood about when they had met three years earlier, it was at a very big event with thousands of people. Uh, It was for charity, and that's what got them to agree to do it. And they didn't talk very much. Yeah. Um, this time, at the very least, the only thing better than reuniting once is reuniting twice. So at the very least, we got at least a second time them together. But more than that, it wasn't a meeting with thousands of people at a convention center in Boise, Idaho, or Oklahoma City. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was where it all started. It was at Mirage in Northampton. And that, and then, you know, we filmed with them for three hours, but then we left. And when we left, Kevin was still there. So did he stay for one minute? Did he stay for an hour? Did they go out and get dinner? Like, I don't know what happened, but I do know they definitely were estranged. And I do know that them getting back within the, only one of the things that Peter was really blown away by was Kevin's willingness to come out. Mm -hmm. So when we asked, when Peter let it slip that he still had those rights, after we had stopped rolling, I said to him, I go, listen, man, I don't even know if Kevin would do this, but if I could get him to fly out here, would you be okay with that? And he was like, yeah, but he'll never fly out here. So just Kevin getting on a plane to go see Peter like this. Yeah. Huge. I think that meant a lot to Peter. And obviously it meant a lot to Kevin that he did it. So I bet you that helped as well. Because I think what the two of them had, and I think this is true for a lot of relationships, I think they just had, and it sounds so cliched to say this, but I think it's true. I think they had a communication breakdown. And I think both of them were assuming the other one was thinking something that may have been partially true initially, but I mean, nothing solves drama and pain in a relationship like time. So even if Kevin was mad 30 years ago or 20 years ago, a, he may not have been as mad as Peter thought he was. And I'm, I'm, this is a hypothesis. I could be wrong about everything I'm saying, but not only was he maybe not as mad as Peter thought, but even if he was that mad, I bet you a year later, five years later, 10 years later, the anger had subsided and it just, they hadn't talked because it was just left to be. Yeah. So if anything, I think we helped get them back on track, or at least we tried. Well, that's great, man. It, it was a really great moment and a, a wonderful episode of the series. One of my, uh, one of my top favorites uh, of all time. So thank you for doing that. And I think the thank fans you. will really appreciate it as well. Well, you're very kind. All right, so seem to like it. <laughs> in the in the last few minutes we have um, got a little softball question, but it says so. I recognize making a good documentary is hard. I've seen really bad documentaries, and you guys put out great documentary episodes every season. I love your pacing. I love your presentation with the series. Can folks expect the same vibe from the upcoming the movies that made us? I just saw a, a trailer premiere. Hundred percent. It's, it's, it's the same. I know this is always a weird thing to brag about, but it's the truth. And I'm proud to brag about it. 
it's the same show, except it ain't toys, it's movies. There was challenges. I mean, it was definitely harder to make this than it was toys because, you know, uh, the, the, to your point earlier, toy designers, no one gives a shit about them, and then all of a sudden we're calling them and bringing a camera crew to their house. They love that. Uh, Dan Aykroyd has been talking about Ghostbusters for 40 years, uh, 30 years. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that was the challenge in this case was – getting people who are sick of talking about something to talk about it. A, B, um, we, you know, with toys, we're competing with a couple independent funded documentaries, but with movies, we're competing, you know, Warner brothers makes DVD extras. Fox makes DVD extras. So we were, and those are all on YouTube. So we're competing with a much higher-end caliber of background information support for these movies than exist for toys. So we had to make sure, and this was something we were concerned with from the day the show got greenlit, um, not making an hour-long DVD extra. So that, that was a big thing we were worried about. And we will know very soon uh, if we uh, were successful or not in <laughs> mitigating this challenge. Uh, our, our fans are not shy in, uh, in, in letting us know what they think, which uh, I love, even when they don't like something. Um, as long as the fans are respectful about their problems, I, I love hearing them. So that's coming out later this month, the 26th, is that right? Is that tomorrow? Wait, 29th, no. it's 29th. Friday. Okay. It's Friday. And Black Friday, baby. Well, uh, congratulations on that. Are we? Is it going to be the same kind of uh, four-episode season, or how does that work? Yep. Okay, cool. Four and episodes. Uh, the the episodes are Home Alone, Ghostbusters, and what are the other two? Dirty Dancing and Die Hard. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you so much for talking about the series with us. I'm really, really excited to see the movies that made us, but thank you. I, I have already binged and loved all of the previous toys that made us. I hope everybody gets a chance to see it. Uh, thank you very much. You're very kind, and uh, seriously, uh do we, we don't take any of this support for granted, so uh, appreciate it greatly. There's nothing in the world like a good friend. You can say that again. Oh, Teddy Rugs in is my friend. And Grubby's my friend, too. That's me. Teddy Ruxpin's pal Grubby, the best friend for your best friend. So we already acknowledge that the Toys That Made Us TV show already covered a lot of our defining toys. For me, they hit it right out of the gate with G.I. Joe, which is my number one toy line of all time. Yeah. Transformers has spent so much time with that. And then as a young kid, He-Man. And that's kind of... I'm doing some collecting of that today. Um, but what I wanted us to do because they took care of all those big names, Lego, Barbie, all that stuff, I wanted us to talk about some of the toys that made us that are a little lesser known, maybe maybe not quite as marquee, uh-huh. and maybe some deep dives. So I, I've got a couple of deep cuts that I hope people enjoy that help shape me, and you've got some little surprising ones as well. What are some of the toys that made you go? All right, so 
I feel like mine are not very deep cuts, <laughs> and I feel like mine are pretty big, and, and I'll explain that when I'm talking about them, okay? So my first one is going to be about Teddy Ruxpin. All right, I loved Teddy Ruxpin when I was a kid. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, I had Teddy Ruxpin and Grumby, and um, I I had multiple of the books. I don't think I had any of the VHS. Well, I guess the VHS tapes came with the books. There was... I may have had one VHS tape, but I know I had multiple tapes and multiple books for, for Teddy Ruxpin. Were you a fan of Teddy Ruxpin? Teddy Ruxpin was one of those things where I probably wanted it, but it was just insanely expensive. Was it? I think it was pretty expensive. I would imagine it is uh, because I know the So in uh, just like this show, right, we talk about the things and how they're back. Uh, Teddy Ruxpin is back. Uh-huh. They are coming out with a new Teddy Ruxpin. I've seen it. It's really cute. Yeah. Like it's a re- slightly redesigned uh-huh. version. It has Ellie? It has like screens for eyes. Oh yeah, and so they can do a bunch of crazy things with its eyes. Um, but uh, that one is like uh, I think it's a hundred bucks or okay. something like that. So, so yeah, so if it's a hundred bucks now with new technology, imagine how expensive it was back then. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really, I'm trying hard to place how I felt about it back then. I think I may have felt like I was slightly too old for it or that I recognized that I wouldn't really play with it yeah. necessarily because I wasn't into the my buddy and I wasn't into Teddy Ruxpin I wasn't into my pet monster like all oh, the other people are I, I, it looks cool I, and I know it's all the rage now that was but, one of the ones I was gonna pick but <laughs> like just those I don't know I was definitely an action figure kid yeah um, but those those commercials are you know hold a soft spot to my heart Worlds of Wonder, right? Yeah. Is that who made yeah. that? In 1985. Okay. okay. So you wouldn't have been that old. You would have only been five. Okay. So, but... Um, well, maybe I felt like I was too old. No, I'm kidding. I <laughs> so, probably wanted it really bad. You're just too fancy. I get yeah. it. Uh, so the the inventor, Ken... Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say his last name right, but I'm just going to say it's Force. Eh? Force. I'm going to say Force. <laughs> Ken Forsey. <laughs> I bet that's what it is. Ken Forsey. Anyways. He uh, actually worked for uh, Disney. And he worked on animatronics and stuff like that when they were building, I think, Disneyland. And um, he, you know, the way they did that stuff was they used tape, like reel-to-reel, to do the programming for, for all the animatronics and stuff like that. He wound up leaving there and wanting to do his own thing. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, he was reached out to uh, for, some, um, for some help on, uh, on Chuck E. Cheese. They needed help coming up with the animatronics and how to program this stuff, and so he helped. He helped Chuck E. Cheese out with with that. He also invented a way to, um, since we were talking about Dumbo, uh, Dumbo's Flying Circus earlier. He, I think he did it for the Winnie the Pooh one, the live action one. I don't remember what it's called. Um, but Welcome he, to Pooh Corner. Yeah, I think that's what it is. He, it was, it was it's animatronics, right? But it's a person in a suit, and the face is animatronic. Uh-huh. And so he he basically got that technology down small enough to where it could be worn, essentially, right? And what he was doing was he was taking it down in each of these increment incremental changes to make the technology smaller and smaller. Because what he wanted to do was uh, create Teddy Ruxpin, and uh, or at least something that kind of toy, right? And uh, when he first started doing it, what they did is they would take teddy bears that were on the market and try putting this technology into it right and then eventually they wound up evolving that into just their own um their own product right uh-huh. 
And so Worlds of Wonder was actually, uh, they helped start it, um, or it was helped started by someone from Atari, and I'm trying to find their name. I don't remember. But um, <laughs> it wasn't uh, Nolan Bushnell. Some other guy. Some other guy at Atari. And, uh, and so he had left Atari and was looking for something new and exciting to work in. And he saw what he was, the kind of animatronics work that he was doing and trying to make a toy out of it. And he got super excited about it. He invested tons of money, started um, started the uh, the Worlds of Wonder, and then got the line off, off the ground. So if you don't know, well, go ahead. You well, I, 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 I can see why it would be popular, though, because at that time, you know, the you had of course the disney animatronics but then you also had the kids going to chuck e cheese and showbiz pizza and Uh so they had those animatronics there but to see a a a home-sized version of Uh something like that um that had the cassette player and all that stuff that that was really revolutionary at the time yeah and the uh that like that was the whole appeal that was kind of like their sales pitch was you're taking these big events and bringing them into your home um so, but the uh, it. So, ha- did you get it brand new? I mean, I mean, did you get it right when it came out? I ha- did you get them both at the same time, or what? How did this work? So, I had Teddy Ruxpin first, uh-huh. and then uh, now let's remember what years. So, this has to be so you were pretty early. Thing. I would have been like, I would have probably been. I probably didn't get it the year it came out. I may have. So, I was either like four or five, right? Uh-huh. Mm, I don't know. Anyways. I was I was around that age because it was around first grade, so uh, somewhere around that time, I got Teddy Ruxpin first, and then I'm pretty sure I got Grumpy the next Christmas maybe mm-hmm. or something like that. Did he play tapes too? Yes. Okay. And in fact, I ha- I still have my Grumpy. I'm staring at it right now. And um, at some point, in a fit of rage, I ripped Teddy Ruxpin's face apart. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I, what did he do to you? I don't remember, but I just like grabbed his jaws and just like oh my <laughs> just gosh. ripped them apart. And, and I think just the bottom one came off, and so like the the top part would still like when he was talking his stuff would still move around. Uh, so, anyways, I got a replacement um, after after that. But um, uh, so uh, and I actually gave somebody that my replacement uh, a couple years ago. So, uh, but uh, you know, if if basically what it was is. Uh, you threw some C batteries on this thing. You popped a tape in, uh, like a, and and then the tape had audio and basically the programming to make Teddy Ruxpin mouth to the to the words that Teddy Ruxpin was saying in Grumpy. And you would get these books, and basically they would read along. Like you'd put that tape in for that book. They would read the story to you, um, and like they would say their own parts and that kind of thing. So. Now was there? What, did they have the thing where when the batteries were starting to get low that he would get really yeah. demonic? Yeah, and I I don't have any C batteries, or else I would try putting another tape in this one to see. <laughs> um, but I have I have heard that uh, it'll do it'll move its mouth to other tapes too. Oh, cool! So um, I've heard to do it with Ozzy Osbourne or something like that. So. <laughs> Highway to Hell. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> but, great. But these uh, so these toys um, basically. It was extremely popular, uh, and then what happened is it was mismanaged. Um, I don't like. I think the guy from Atari may have left, and then whoever was managing after that point just mismanaged it. It went out. Of, it, it they stopped making them. Like they stopped selling, and they brought it back. And then whatever company was doing at that time, um, uh, it would have been Hasbro. Um, whoever was in charge of that line, uh, a, 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 
uh, allegedly had mismanaged it. And so they just kind of fell off the wayside. It's come back three more times since then, yet with Yes Entertainment, Backpack Toys, and now Wicked Cool Toys. Wicked Cool. That's Marky Mark's toy company. Oh, is it? No, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I would have believed it, man. I would have believed it. Well, that's a good pick. Uh, I never had it, but I certainly have a fond memory of it and a little jealous that you still have Grumby right now on your nostalgia shelf. Pretty cool. So I'm not as well researched as Brian is. Um, I will leave that to the toys that made us people to actually give some detailed information. But while my big three were already covered by the, the documentary series, I'm going with a little lesser known property. But my first one is still probably the most well known that people would remember. And that is Mask. It's a toy line by Kenner. In 1985, Mask is uh, an abbreviation of Mobile Armored Strike Command, with a K, of course. And um, it's basically these little tiny figures that had masks that you could put on them. Uh And the different masks were supposed to give them different powers and things to do. And they battled the evil organization of Venom, which itself is also... uh, a shortened version of vicious evil network of mayhem and shortened to mayhem in just the, in the series. So the good guys versus bad guys, the good guys had masks, the bad guys had masks. I love these toys. Um, because one, this is one where the show that they marketed it with. So this, I, I should say most toys that were popular when we were growing up had a show behind them, had a television show that you could, you could watch Thundercats, Transformers, all those. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. I, so I was going to say it, it would, that was such a big deal back then. That's why shows like, or that's why PBS exists and, and or that kind of thing. It was these shows were, were viewed as just commercials for these toys right. and they had no educational value at all. Well, that that's a, that's to say kind of why Saturday morning cartoons don't really exist right. now because on network, television there's a requirement of having a certain amount of educational content and so uh all the stuff that does air is like history related Uh or i don't know so these these that were developed strictly for selling toys yeah they have gone by the wayside but when we grew up that's all they were it was just half hour long commercials for cool stuff yeah and mask was one of those so in 85 and 86 they had two series two seasons the cartoon and um, I don't know how many episodes they ran total, but they had comic books uh, from Marvel. They had, but what was cool about them was they were tiny figures, tinier than GI Joes, um, but they all had vehicles. So not only did they have masks, which you could take on and off, which was, I'm all about the masks, like in, even in Star Wars, like if it ha- if the toy had a mask to it, you yeah. could take on and off. I love that toy. Lando Calrissian and the bounty uh-huh. hunter thing. Love that. Leia in the Bausch outfit. Yes. Love that. Yeah, I used to love Those that Those are the toy. best. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So to have these little toys that had individual masks was cool. But also, they had these vehicles 
that transformed. Uh-huh. And I was already a fan of Transformers. So to have these cool vehicles with little figures you can move in and out that transformed into, you know, fighting machines um, or like from a motorcycle to a helicopter. I loved that stuff. Yeah. Did you have these? Uh, so I did. Um, I didn't. I, I didn't have a ton of them. I did have. You're gonna. You're gonna know the name of it. I had that red car with the wings that opened up, like the Condor. Door in. No, yeah. that's not Condor. I forget. But I, I. I definitely had that. Yeah. So these toys were awesome because you know what Kenner was doing is they were looking at the popularity of Transformers and the popularity of GI Joe, and they're like, hey, let's just make one toy line that's like that. Yeah. It, it, it combines both those things. Uh-huh. And so. Uh, so yes. Uh, you know I. I liked the GI Joe toys and the Transformer toys were really cool, um, and so uh, I was more of a GoBots fan. But you know, these I can pretend these are like GoBots. Well, it's funny you mentioned GI Joe. Actually, uh, later on, in sometime in the two thousands, they released a Matt Tracker figure yeah. as part of the yeah. GI Joe line. So kind of like married those those lines well, together. You know what Hasbro is doing is they they are creating a universe where all of these things oh, are a part right. of it. Uh, and they I don't remember what they call it, but they're calling it something. So it's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but, but Hasbro is doing that for all of these lines mm-hmm. to where they all exist in the same universe. That's cool. I would I would be down for seeing that. Uh, one of the reasons I loved this one was because I liked part of the reason I love GI Joe was when they did their character development they give they gave like each character a specialty uh-huh. right and one of the things when i was playing with my toys was you know cuz i had a bunch of gi joes i would <laughs> this is so goofy um i would line them up and then i would take like rubber bands uh-huh. and shoot guys down and whoever was left standing was my team <laughs> Um, so that was, I either picked them by that uh-huh. or I picked them on their specialty based on their, you know, their, not their powers, but like what they were really good at. Like, were they a snow dude or were they an underwater guy uh-huh. for the mission? And every episode of mask, you didn't know who was going to be featured on that episode. And they would go to their lair and they would have the computer run through the different characters that would be featured in that episode because their different mask had like different skills and mm-hmm. their cars and stuff and so i was always amazed to see who would wind up being on that special strike team for this episode and being able to specialize play with that so i love that aspect of the show i mean looking back now it's not that great of a show yeah. it doesn't have that much staying power it's not like i'm gonna just go watch hours and hours of mask most of these shows aren't they were just commercials I, uh, Yes, but some of them, some of them, they do have good storylines. Hey, if that. you want the storylines, read the comics. Okay, true, yeah. very true. Um, but still, the toys themselves were cool. They just, I had a friend growing up. I actually didn't have that many. I ha- well, I did have the playset of this, uh-huh. like Big the, Boulder Mountain. I think is it called? Yeah, with the gas station. Yeah, it had a gas uh-huh. station. Had like a volcano looking thing with a big boulder on top yeah. that would bowl over, and it came with two guys. It came with a two people instead of just the one additional figure i had that i had the hurricane which is like a cadillac with flames i had the condor which was the i remember now as the the motorcycle that turned into a a helicopter but i had a friend he literally had every single one and i would go to his house and just i'd be in in heaven playing with all his toys and so jealous of all of his stuff that he had how much do these cost now no how much back then did they cost you know uh, no i mean they were commiserate with with transformers <clears throat> probably 
And then some of the vehicles, you know, some of the bigger vehicles would go for more. But they had Winnebago's and SUVs, and uh, they had the Switchblade was a plane helicopter thing. There, I don't remember what it's called, but the semi truck that they had was Rhino. Yeah, Rhino, because it. Man, it had everything. Yes. It, it had a second vehicle that came out of it. Uh-huh. Uh, it had... It could the, shoot a rocket. Yeah, shoot a rocket. It had a battering ram that uh-huh. shot out. It had the smokestacks move forward and were lasers. Uh-huh. And it it had the uh, the cab of the truck uh-huh. was like a... Command center. Like a command center. Uh-huh. And, of course, it came with not just one guy, Bruce Sato, but two guys. Um, so you got, I think it had Matt Tracker as well. Yeah. He was the leader. So yeah. you, it was, uh, it was really, really cool. I, I never had that one as a kid, but I think I mentioned on a previous episode, I did have that as an adult and I sold it before the market like blew up and now I'd be a gajillionaire if I kept it, but I didn't. So well, just think how bad you would feel had you not sold it and then the market fell out. Eh, it's all right. People were like, Oh, I don't care about mask and venom anymore. Well, uh, mask is a good one, and I hope that uh, they eventually incorporate into a new episode of The Toys That Made Us so I can learn more about how it was actually made at Kenner, but I doubt it. Yeah. Colorforms play sets come with playboards and plastic pieces. And now, new color and play color forms. First color, then the magic window, and the pieces stick like magic. Colorforms makes the fun show. Colorforms is such an iconic toy that nobody knows about, right? I, are, is Colorforms, are they like Shrinky Dinks? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the name. Uh, but I don't really remember playing with them. So color forms, uh, it's basically paper dolls, but okay. for everyone. Okay. All right. So um, you basically what it was is it's vinyl. It's like vinyl stickers, but they're not stickers. Okay. Right. And you had the um, I don't know what shrinky dinks are. So if if I explain if I explain this to you and you're like, yeah, the shrinky dinks don't 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 kill me. Okay. But uh, it was like you. It came in a box, and then it had a um a like a picture like a scene or something like that right and then you had all these like vinyl uh fit like they weren't figures they were just cutouts vinyl cutouts that you could place on the scene and just like basically tell your own stories yeah yeah um the now this is crazy could you remove them afterwards and like remove them and And restick them yeah Yeah. they're awesome i remember those and um they came out in 1951 oh wow yeah and so uh and they are still made today and just, just, just like you know, Teddy Ruxpin coming back today. There is a show on Netflix called Color Forms, what? and it is, it is like there is a character. They will turn anything into a <laughs> into a property these days. It is crazy. Word. The uh, so Color Forms uh, originally started off as um, basically a way to get kids to help to help kids create art, right? And um, the. Uh, uh, it was created by Harry and Patricia Kislevitz. You're great with last names this episode. <laughs> and so I, I saw an interview with Patricia, and she said, you know, the way that they looked at it is as soon as a kid can pinch with their thumb and their forefinger, they can pick things up. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea behind Color Forms was getting it to where 
kids could start creating as soon as they could start doing that, oh, creating that's art, cool. right? And so the original, the reason it's called Color Forms is it was a black package, mm-hmm. and the vinyl cutouts were just different colored shapes. And so there was, like, she said, like, one circle was her thimble, one circle was a pill bottle cap. And, like, like the and, and so, like, that's how it originally started. And over time, they started getting licenses. Um, uh, I think the... Uh, Popeye was the first licensed character that they used, and that was in 1957. Uh, and the the they said you know Popeye was just extremely popular at the time, and it 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 was he was so expressive, and it was easy to create like fun stories. Kids could create their really own fun stories with Popeye. Um, you know, I I remember having I had a pack a pack probably Pack Land. What was the TV show? Pack Pack Land, right? I think so. So I, cause most when in the eighties, most of them were based off of cartoons or TV shows. And so I remember I had a Pac-Man one that had like all the ghosts and Pac-Man and everything. I was, I was super into Pac-Man back then. Like anything that he, that like my bedspread was Pac-Man. Like, the Pac-Man cereal. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was crazy about Pac-Man. I like, like I was so crazy about Pac-Man. My mom's friends would. Did you have me... Pac-Man fever? Would you oh, say? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> like my mom's friends would make me like coat racks with Pac-Man on them and stuff like oh, that. My so, gosh. Uh, but, but anyways, uh, so a couple years ago, I assumed that these went away, right? Because I just never saw them anymore. And then a couple, it was like maybe two years ago, I was looking for Christmas gifts and. Uh, I saw that they were still making them, and I was like, holy cow, that's crazy that they're still making color forms. And then today when I was doing uh, research on it, I was like, oh, wow, there, there's a Netflix cartoon about this. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Um, but, yeah. you got to get your girls some of these for, for Christmas now. you got to put them in the stocking. Yeah, I should I should get some because, you know, they are both artistic. Like, they both like drawing, and, like, they have, like, pencil sets and that kind of thing. And so, it, like, I think that they would like it. Uh, I never had any of the art ones and they had like, there was like a laser art one. And like, I guess that was probably like shiny and stuff. Um, I never had any of those. I only ever had um, the licensed ones for these. Uh, So, uh, but yeah, like uh, you should check it out. You should look it up. Like it is in the, I want to say it's in the Smithsonian, like that very first one. Uh Like it's, it's part of the Smithsonian now, but it is like, Cool. I think I remember them now. It, for what they're for what it's worth, they are not shrinky dinks. Okay. Shrinky dinks are these little plastic sheets that you color uh-huh. like th- oh. it's like dolls, uh-huh. you know, like paper dolls. You color, you cut them out, yeah. then you put them in the oven. Oh, okay. And they shrink and become more solid. Okay. Yeah, different yeah. M- very different. Yes, yeah, very different from this. Yeah, these these are basically just paper dolls, but for everybody. Yeah, I love I it. Them. Classic. Yeah. Sky Commanders, where all the action is above the ground. Set up laser cable. Good work, Cable Raider. Just as the cable cannon spots the enemy. Sky Commanders, warning, warning. The evil raiders attack. Deception Raiders, strike. You're surrounded. Each sold separately with a figure and cable. Fire! Gotcha, Raiders. Sky Commanders, protectors of the high frontier. Cable cannon comes with everything you see here. Other vehicles each sold separately. New from Kenner. So for my next property, um, you know, I really had a hard time thinking about ones that were that truly had an impact in my life in some way that was memorable that were also not like everybody did. I mean, 
we already realized that I'm not going to talk about Transformers because everybody knows about Transformers. Um, but this one, I don't think very many people remember it at all. And it wasn't, you know, for what it's worth, this one wasn't like a very long-term uh-huh. obsession of mine. But there was a time in my childhood when I was obsessed with Sky Commanders. Do you know anything about Sky Commanders? So I, I must have had one of these toys. Okay. Because I specifically remember the string and like the yep. thing that the person would hang from on it. And that's all that I remember about it. I don't think I ever saw the show uh, or had any. I think I only ever had one of these toys. Okay. So Sky Commanders was a cartoon animated series made by Hanna-Barbera and it premiered in July of 87. It lasted 13 episodes. The TV show was not what I was a fan of. Uh-huh. Even though they made the TV show to coincide with the movie and build a better world, this is one where I was truly just enamored with the toy. Um, this toy was made by Kenner, and it is about the same size as the uh, the mask figures. Uh-huh. Or if you're familiar with the Dino Rider figures, it's they're about the same size. What I loved about these figures was that they, like... <clears throat> had it was more than just a figure like they had almost vehicles with them too yeah and then those vehicles interacted with with the other play sets and so it was it was like a play set in a action figure packaging so it was more than just a single figure like a gi joe or something right um these guys like okay so i think the basic premise of the show is that there is a new land discovered and there's a natural resource that everybody's fighting over. There's good guys, there's bad guys. There's raiders who are the bad guys and there's sky commanders who are the good guys. Um, People have specific names and all that stuff, but I don't remember any of that stuff. I just remember the toys. So in that new world, you could only get from place to place on these uh, like sonic cables. Uh-huh. So you'd go from like mountain range to mountain range, cliff to cliff by hanging from these sonic cables. And so all the toys had these elastic straps or these long strings that connected it. And so you could put a, you could put a connector on the top of a door yeah. and put the other end on the top of a chair. And then these guys could like hook in kind of like a, uh, what do you, do? a zip line, kind of yes. like a zip line. Yeah. And could just swing down. And then they had these stations that you could connect on the back of a chair that had, you know, little turrets and things like that. These, it was really cool. These toys were cool because they were designed for doors and yeah. stuff like that. It's like, so, like, they had, like, you know, if you think of, like, the thing you hang on your door to hang, like, your bathrobe on or towels uh-huh. on. Like, it was like that. And then uh, it was the the vehicles that they rode in on these things, uh, you know, would have guns that you could pop off. And then the part that attached to the chair, you could pop it off that and put it on the chair so that there was a gun on the chair so that they could swing down to it and then man that gun and that kind of thing. So what's funny about this, you know, I remember playing with these as a kid, but whenever I think of these, I think of where I bought them. These were, you know, these were made by Kenner. So they were brand name toys. Uh And I'm sure you could buy them at. Toys R Us or whatever. But I think at the time when they came out, you know, the market share for toys, it was so diverse. There were so many hot properties at that time right. that getting shelf space was tough. So 
I think they tried to get them just anywhere they could. Uh-huh. And so I actually bought these at the supermarket <laughs> at Jewel Osco in um, it, outside of Chicago. They had these in the toy section. You know, toy grocery stores, if they have a toy section, it's like the smallest thing ever. Right. But but I would go with my mom while she shopped. We'd get, you know, peanut butter boppers or whatever kind of junk food I wanted at the time. What <laughs> and are then, peanut butter boppers? What are peanut butter boppers? Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're gonna have to go through a whole. <laughs> it's basically a, a candy bar that was marketed as a as a as a healthy snack alternative oh, okay. for kids. Um, but I would go shopping with her and then get what I wanted, some junk food, and then if I was really 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 good boy, I would get some of these uh, an action figure here and there. And so I remember getting those at the Jewel Osco. Nice. Now, what's cool about them now is. I don't think the toy line was that successful. So now if you want to collect them, they're pretty easily accessible. They they cost more than you would probably want them to, but they're readily available for less than $100 each, brand new, never opened, uh-huh. less than 75 usually. And unlike Star Wars or G.I. Joe, you know, most of these are pristine condition because right. they're like fresh out of the case that nobody bought. So I actually have two of these on my nostalgia shelf, never opened, and um, I'm probably going to try to get a couple more because after looking up some of this history, I I, I kind of want a few more of these. I don't have a vehicle. I, I need to get a vehicle. And then I was just given someone's collection from when they were a kid. They they were moving, and they're like, hey, I've got some, some of my toys from when I was a kid. You want any of them? And they gave me a big bag, and in the bag were a, you know several of these, of these Sky Commanders. Wow. So stoked that's awesome yeah the um does the elastic still bounce on the ones that were opened and stuff no not really Uh they're kind of worn out and and like that's probably one of the big things is that that's going to degrade over time right so i don't know right now they look good on my shelf i'll just say that nice the micro machine man here presenting the genuine original colossally collectible most midget miniature replicas of the real things Micro Machines. Dramatically detailed, stupendously styled, smaller than enough, this one or this one. And now with a totally terrific town, the new Micro Machine Super City two-box playset. Closed, it's a mild matter two-box. Open, it's a Micro Machine USA. Cruise your mini Micro Machine vehicles, planes and boats to the police station, the marina, the mini motorcycle repair shop, the gas station, the construction office, work, the real working drawbridge, highway, passenger ramp, and garage doors. Or take a Micro Machine flying machine in for a landing. Phew, this place has it all. The new Micro Machine Super City two-box playset from Galoo. The one and only outrageous original miniatures. Remember, if it doesn't say Micro Machines, it's not the All right. The fastest talking commercial man in the business helped promote my next pick, and that is Micro Machines. Oh my gosh, I love those. I loved Micro Machines. And the best part about Micro Machines was that um, the playsets, like you could travel easily with a bunch of Micro Machines in them. And so it was easy to take your toys around and have something to play with them on. Uh, so did you, did you play with micro machines at all? I did play with micro machines. I had, you know, several of the car sets, several, I was really into like militaria at the time. Uh-huh. So I got a lot of like the jets mm-hmm. and the Jeeps yep. and the tanks and stuff like that. And then when I was a teenager, when Star Wars made that big comeback with Kenner, the new, you know, the power of the force line, yep. micro machines were still kind of hanging on by a thread until the Star Wars, they got the Star Wars license uh-huh. again. And it breathed like a whole new life into him. And so I was collecting both the Power of the Force figures and the Micro Machine Star Wars collection. Yeah, these. So basically, what these were, it's it's like Hot Wheels, but miniaturized uh, to like the size of a 
like penny. A, yeah, right. And so the um and they did they had everything motorcycles, cars, jeeps, uh air vehicles, water vehicles. Uh, I remember I had a bunch of boat ones and um the uh basically you would you could buy a um playset that was a piece of the city and they would all connect together uh so that if you bought a bunch of the playsets you could just drive around the city or whatever and uh the playset folded in half and so you know you could easily just throw in like whatever pieces of the playset that went in that and then like three or four machines also or vehicles and then uh take them with you cuz you know I traveled a lot when I was a kid and so this was a toy that I always took with me. Uh, and didn't you get? Didn't they come in like four in a pack? When so you, got you like bought a them individually, pack? yeah, yeah. Uh, when you bought them individual, or like when you bought them not in a playset, yes, because uh, the the playset would always come with I think two of them. And so yeah, when they because like they had to be so cheap to make these things because they are hardly any well. Yeah, I mean like you look at a Hot Wheels car, and even today a Hot Wheels car costs like ninety nine cents. Yeah, well, not even like you can buy a pack of five for two bucks. <laughs> yeah, like well, it, that might be Matchbox cars. I'm talking Hot. Oh Wheels no, I'm talking cars. Hot Wheels. Okay, all right, <laughs> go on, son. But these, uh, but yeah, like. Um, you know, uh, the bet like one of the best things about these toys though were the commercials, because you had the Micro Machine Man, and and he was a speed talker, mm-hmm. and so like the whole he's commercial, like the Guinness World Record speed talker, yeah, and, and like the whole commercial would be about this, and so it was it was pure marketing genius uh, on on behalf of Galoob to have to have the commercials like this, uh, so um. They started off in the mid '80s and then wound up going through uh, the the '90s, uh, and then um, they—that's when they were popular. They actually stopped making them in 2008. Isn't that crazy? Really? Yeah. So I thought they still made them. I don't. Well, they started again. Oh, okay. In 2015, but. Uh, it says they stopped making them again in 2016. <laughs> so, like, We're back. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, the um, I, I think it's crazy that they went that long, 87 to 08. I mean, I guess there's a lot of toys I stopped playing with, but like, I feel like outside of the stuff like the Star Wars ones and that kind of thing, um, I never, I never really saw them that much out in, out in the wild. Um, well, you know, micro machines have a very famous appearance in a movie of our youth. Do you remember this? Uh, so I'm going to tell you the scene. I can't tell you what movie it is, but I feel like someone has a finger on top of one and is pushing it along and making driving sounds. Is that right? That's not what I'm thinking of. Okay. So you may, you may be right. Okay. But just because I happen to have watched the movie and the documentary that we just talked about, um, it's fresh on my mind. Kevin McAllister defending uh, his home. Yes. Yes. In uh-huh. Home Alone had a huge spread of micro machines that both, um, Marv and what's the other guy? Starts name? with an H. All right. Harry. Harry. Yeah. Yes. Marv and Harry. They both did huge pratfalls uh-huh. on. Um, and uh, I didn't have that many as a kid, but I was very jealous of Kevin for having so many. But I recognize them the instant they showed him up on the Home Alone. Yeah. The um, and since you talked about the collectability of uh of of your last toys, uh, these toys are not worth um. They're not worth a ton. There are certain play sets that are worth some money. Mm-hmm. Um, so more, most sets are worth less than five bucks. But there's a Civil War one that can get over ten. Ooh, uh, and then big money, <laughs> which is less than when they originally sold <laughs> <laughs> because they were like eleven bucks. I think depreciating like the assets. Yeah. Wow. But then there is an Aliens set 
that you can get on eBay for like 50 and there's a rare US version of the Action Fleet Aliens dropships that go over 70 and then Star Trek sets that have sold from 100 to 370 dollars. Wow. Yeah, I remember the Star Trek ones. They would make even the they would make the ships and they had Deep Space 9, uh-huh. they had the Enterprise, uh the Romulan Warbird. Yeah, they would they would theme it out. So it wasn't just like you know, cop cars and tanks and things like that. They actually branded them out with Star Wars and Star Trek and and I don't know what other ones they did, but yeah, th- th- those were good. I I'm sad to know that they don't exist anymore because I thought they did. Yeah, I know. You know, I feel like I have seen Star Wars ones recently. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I know they still make. I, th- I think they still make video games. I know there has been recent Micro Machines video games come out. And so I wonder if I guess the brand still exists and yeah. people license the brand, yeah. right? Yeah, like Atari. Yeah, yeah, like Atari. That's all it is now. Yeah. But it was fun growing up, and I was glad I was there when it came out on the scene. Yeah. If we're gonna stop the crooks, us cops gotta know who they are. That's the Rock Rusher. No jail can hold them. And here's Berserko, a dangerous street punk. Meanwhile, at the crook's hideout. Look out for long arms. He's a tough street cop. Sergeant Mace, the SWAT team leader. And Bulletproof's a federal agent. Give up, you crooks. You're surrounded by the cops. Ah! Cops and crooks sold separately with cash. So my final pick for the night is probably the deepest cut. I don't know. Sky Commander was a pretty deep cut. I don't, I don't know if anybody's talking to podcasts I, I about heard Sky of, Commanders. I have heard of this one before. I don't think I... I mean, I owned a Sky Commander, but I couldn't have told you that. Okay. All right. So, my next pick is Cops. And not the bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do. What you want? What you gonna do? Yeah, not that. This is Cops, otherwise known as Central Organization of Police Specialists. Later, it was rerun as Cyber Cops on TV because by that time, the television show Cops on Fox, the real life one, uh, had aired. And so there was a little brand confusion. But this one is actually first. So the TV show Cops and the toy line thereafter was first before the, the famous Fox television show. So this was, again, a toy line that had a cartoon that aired with it. Uh-huh. This also was not uh, a very successful run of cartoons, but it did last longer than Sky Commanders. It came out in 1988 and <laughs> 1989. It had 65 episodes, which we know that's basically just one full season for a lot of these, you know, a lot of these cartoon shows, but at least it had a little bit more variety than Sky Commanders. Do you know the significance of that 65? I have no idea. I think it has to do with syndication. Okay. I think you have to have so many episodes to go to syndication, and I think it's 65. Oh, really? Yeah, I think... I, I, don't... I think for network shows, uh, like for sitcoms and stuff, I thought that magic number was 100. Oh, uh, maybe. But maybe for cartoons at 65, or maybe I'm just completely Maybe wrong. it's evolved over time. Who knows? But that's a good idea. Good, good thought process. So, most of our listeners probably don't even remember Cops. But we're talking about the toys that made us. So this one, for me, was a l- bigger versions of G.I. Joe almost. Oh, they were huge. They were they were really tall. They were like, they're like what, tw- seven-inch figures? Yeah, like twice the size of Yeah, they were like Joe's. twice the size of G.I. Joe. And each of them were 
um, were unique. They were law enforcement. So it was cops and crooks. The bad guys were the crooks. And so even on the packaging, for the good guys, it just said cops. And on the bad guys, it said cops and then graffitied in crooks. You know, the, the letter N apostrophe crooks. Uh, and they were highly articulated, like like G.I. Joe, but but even more so. They had special accessories and every one of them had a weapon that used a real uh, cap yes. in it so that when you pulled the little lever back, it would pop really, really loud like a, you know, like a, a, like a, a toy gun. gun. Yeah. So um, this one, it like each of the guys had a special power. I'm, you know, like I said, I was huge into that for G.I. Joe yes. and for Mask. And so while they were all police officers, you had like the canine unit guy who had like a robot dog or you had this guy who uh, he looked like a regular uniformed police officer, but his code name was long arm. And he had this handcuff that would shoot out from his arm and capture bad guys from way far away. And then there was the main uh, boss of the, or the main like police captain. His name was bulletproof. Uh-huh. And he had a, uh, a chest piece that would float down. He had like guns that would shoot out of his chest. And so I think his storyline was actually that he was wounded and had to like be cybernetically enhanced. And so in my mind, when I played with these guys, it was like marrying GI Joe concept with RoboCop. Uh I loved RoboCop as a kid. And because RoboCop was a police officer, right? Cybernetically enhanced. These guys were police officers and they had robots and cybernetics and androids and stuff like that. They were just an extension to me of the RoboCop world and I loved it. So do you, you know, so you talked about the, how GI Joe, you like the part on the back that has like their file or whatever, Uh you know, one of these cops is the son of a Joe. No. Yeah. So is beachhead the one with the green ski mask? Uh His son is a cop and I can't remember can't remember what his name is i I was trying to find it on here but um so like joe's gi joe's were brought in from every different branch of the military and so cops were from different police forces Mm -hmm. and different parts of it like you had swat detective and you know that kind of thing and eventually it branched out into uh you know firefighter also and you know they were starting to get into other uh, public services um I wish I could remember who it was, but there's a guy that was a military police officer before he became, before he was recruited into cops. And he is the son of, of, uh, Oh, here we go. I got it on Wikipedia. Checkpoint. A military officer who grew up in Alabama. He works for the United States army and joins forces with cops. Very fearful, nervous, anxious, but stays on the case with the team anyway to help get the job done. Appearing in the case of, Muck Luck's Luck, the case of Iron Cops and Wooden Crooks, and the case of Hot Red Hot Hoodlum, which had major roles in those episodes. Checkpoint's toy file card says his father was a member of a top-secret military team in the 80s and 90s, referencing G.I. Joe character Beachhead, a.k.a. Wayne R. Sneeden. <laughs> he is a representative of the U.S. Army Military Police. So, yeah, you had, you had uh, guys with deep backstories like that, 
a very imaginative, very imaginative um, accessories. Cool code names like Mirage, Sundown, Mace, Hardtop, Bullseye. Um, and you had the bad guys, Big Boss, Babel. Uh, you had Berserko, Mister Misdemeanor. You had well. So I will say this: if we're gonna to compare them to Joe's, their code names are really cool, but their real names are so cheesy. Uh huh. So like, um. So you talked about the their leader bulletproof, right? Uh-huh. His his name is Bald Baldwin P Vess uh-huh. or BP Vess Bulletproof Vest. Oh gosh. And then you have stuff like there is this guy whose whose codename is Taser and his name is Hi H Y Watts. <laughs> and like like they all have names like that. Well, <laughs> it, 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 the cartoon is the same way and like it has elements that are really good like well, really good is a loose term for these things, but the storylines are really cool. Right. But the production quality on the cartoon and then the voice acting of the cartoon is really bad. Like, there's a guy who talks like this, see? And it's just, like, really, really cheesy. I'm going to try to find a, a little clip. Maybe we can play just a little clip of how bad this episode voice acting is right now. Well, even Berserko, my numbskull nephew, managed to grab some loot without getting caught. We sure made monkeys out of the police. Uh, well, next time, Berserko, steal money, not bananas, say. Well, well, I'll let it pass this time, saying that it was all just a test of your evil talent. A test? Well, uh, Dr. Bad Vibes... I want you to invent the most powerful crime machine the world has ever seen. Anyway, like I said, I didn't really like it for the TV show. That was a great... It it was a nice addition, but for me, it was the toys. So much so that when I was a kid, I was a little bad, um, especially when it came around Christmas time. I was bad at sneaking a peek at my presents. Ooh. Um, so I was probably nine years old. It was probably 1989. And I knew where my parents hid the presents. <laughs> and I, So they thought they were sneaky and they hid the... Pr- I hope my mom is not listening to this episode. <laughs> I hope your kids don't listen. I know. Uh, they hid presents that they bought in the trunk of the car. <laughs> And so early on Saturday mornings, I would go and swipe my mom or dad's keys, <laughs> go into the garage, and pop the trunk and look at all the stuff. And 1989 was the year of that I got a ton of Ninja Turtles, and I got a ton of Cops figures. And they had uh, some Cops figures in the back. And one of them was one that I really, 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 really wanted. And I took it <laughs> before Christmas. I just I pulled it out of the back of the car, took it to my room, unpackaged it, play with it. My parents were none the wiser. I never got caught. Never to this day. Wow. I don't even think I mentioned this to anybody ever, but because <laughs> I still am somewhat ashamed of it. <laughs> but to make matters worse, what made me feel really bad about it was that Come Christmas morning, I open up my presents. I get tons of ninja turtles. I get all these other cops, 
all that I've, that I've already seen, of course, oh. but act really surprised. <laughs> and I open up, and there is another of the exact figure oh. that I'd already opened. Uh-huh. Because I'm sure it was on my list. Yeah. My parents were like, where is this guy? I thought we got him. <laughs> and they went and got another one. So I had to be excited about my second version, the exact same figure that I already had because I took it early from Santa. And that's why you have a new unbox cop figure. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So anyway, if you don't know about this series at all, go check it out. This one, uh, unlike some of the others, this one I think you can find full episodes on YouTube. Um, and they actually sold a, a packaged DVD version of these. So you can check those out. And the, the figures are pretty easy to find on eBay. Um, if you want to get them for real cheap, get them loose. If you want to get nice, pristine collector's editions, uh, you can still find them men on card for uh, a decent amount. But they're still out there. So I'm gonna, this is one that I don't have a copy of currently. I am now going to seek one out and get one to put on my nostalgia shelf. Oh, that's great. Well... It's come to that time again where we have to end the show, Preston. Uh, but I do want to thank everybody for listening and for for sticking with us and and you know leaving us feedback on uh, on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast from and sending us emails and speaking to us, reaching out to us on Twitter. Uh, you can reach me at Twitter at B.E. Grantham, and you can reach the show at Wayback underscore Attack. Preston, where can people find you? I am at Squared Stiff on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we look forward to making the show every week. We hope you tune in every week. We've got some exciting things coming up. Probably have another in-between episode here in the next little bit. Talk about some of our adventures and things we do behind the scenes. Um, And if you have an idea for a show, let us know. Shoot us an email, waybackattackshow at gmail.com. And uh, thanks for sticking with us on this extra long episode of the podcast. It's been fun.